Are you looking to expand your brand this year? Want to make your business stand out above the rest? Well, there's no better way to grow than with your own podcast. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, a small business, or a massive company, you need a podcast in 2024. Podcast Plus is an easy and efficient way for you and your brand to join the podcast revolution. There's no better way to position your company as the go-to authority than with a podcast that showcases your industry knowledge, insights, and expertise. The studios at Podcast Plus are state-of-the-art with top-of-the-line production quality. And if you're just starting out, Podcast Plus offers professional script writing, editing magic, and can conceptualize your show, create your cover art, and get you ready to stream on all major platforms. We'll market your podcast as well, showcasing it on radio stations and digital streams across the country. Expand, enhance, and extend your company and brand and reach potential clients and customers 24-7. Find out more at podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. That's podcast with the K, P-L-U-S.com. Five, four, three, two, one. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. A confirmed attack is taking place against the United States. Aliens from an unknown location have been reported in multiple states. We are controlling transmission. There is another world that awaits, far beyond what we can see and feel. A place that's anything but ordinary. What you believe might not be. Step into the zone of the best unknown. UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, conspiracies and cover-ups. And to the paranormal we go. Somewhere between the paranormal and the abnormal, we welcome you to the show tonight. I am Jeremy Scott. Tonight we're going to discuss whether or not uh, what we know to believe to be the truth when it comes to just how old man is. Uh, whether that measures up after you hear the conversation tonight. Because the general consensus is probably a few hundred thousand years. However, recent... Archaeological discoveries have added more doubt, in my opinion, to what we've been told about how old humans are as a species. Uh, you may be wondering, well, why, why does it matter? I mean, I'm only going to live however long, 50, hopefully 80, 100 years, however long you wish to live. You know, usually we don't get a, a choice in the matter. Uh, but if man is as old as time... Well, that suggests that we may not be as primitive as we've been led to believe. And to me, that is a very, very fascinating thought. Uh, when we talk about you know some of the supernatural stuff on this program, we wonder whether or not these beings are superior to us. Well, if we're just as old or older than them, uh, that may change your perspective on this. Our closest known human relatives are said to be the extinct Neanderthals, who of course emerged around 400,000 years ago, interbred with Homo sapiens and then died off around 40,000 years ago. There have been fascinating discoveries, though, that are continually made as uh, history is unearthed. Uh, this includes fossils and structures and even long lost languages. 
Uh, just some examples that I found in preparation for this program, some recent discoveries on this front include one made by an international team of scientists who uh, came across an ancient human fossil in China that they say is unlike any other homonym found before. Quote, it resembles neither the lineage that split to form Neanderthals or Denisovans nor us, suggesting our current version of the human family tree needs another branch, another part of the family tree, they're saying. The jaw, skull, and leg bones belonging to the yet-to-be-classified hominin were discovered in East Asia in 2019, and since then, the Chinese Academy of Sciences has struggled to match those remains to a known lineage. Uh, Also, archaeologists uncovering a 300,000-year-old jawbone in another strange find. A research from the University of Liverpool reveals that humans were constructing wooden structures some 476,000 years ago. So this discovery, half a million years ago, earlier than was previously thought uh, to be possible, that humans could build structures made of wood, predating even the evolution of our own species, Homo sapiens. There's also been new evidence that suggests that our hominid ancestors crossed the Mediterranean long before modern humans evolved, which means that um, ancient humans must have learned how to sail nearly a half million years ago. There's also new analysis that claims 930,000 years ago, 99% of our human ancestors died. This from some sort of collapse of civilization. Recently, it's become to be uh, known that archaeologists in Kenya have dug up some old stone tools. They say they are some of the oldest ever used by ancient humans and date back some 2.9 million years ago. This story says it is evidence that the tools were used by other branches of early humans, not just the ancestors of Homo sapiens. Now, dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago, and while it was long thought that there was no way they coexisted with humans, well, say it isn't so. Because an astonishing new study concludes that human ancestors survived the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs. Researchers, through a thorough analysis of the fossil record, discovered that humans and dogs and bats originated in the Cretaceous period, which began 145 million years ago and ended 66 million years ago. It suggests that these mammals, which we are, 
shared the planet with dinosaurs, at least briefly, before the mass extinqu- uh, extinction event. Throwing a curveball into the debate that researchers have had for a very long time. All of this uh, fascinating, interesting, wonderful stuff that's uh, uh, been reported all across the world of late. So is it possible? Could we, could man have existed millions of years ago, not just hundreds of thousands of years ago? And have we survived uh, a mass uh, extinction event uh, more than once? Obviously, we are still here. Uh, We've survived. Uh, we're going to get a crash course on this whole uh, topic of what's known as forbidden archaeology tonight with Michael Cremo, who is here for the first time. I had Michael on a previous show I did, but it was eight years ago, so he's a first-time guest on Into the Paranormal officially. Uh, he's a groundbreaking research pioneer and an international authority on archaeological anomalies, having dug up enigmatic discoveries in the fossil record explored famous archaeological sites and sacred places all around the world he's a member of the world archaeological congress and the european association of archaeologists as well as a research associate in history and philosophy of science for the Bhaktiva danta institute after receiving a scholarship to study international affairs At George Washington University, Michael began to study the ancient Sanskrit writings of India, known as the Vedas. He's the author of several books, including Forbidden Archaeology, The Hidden History of the Human Race, and Human Devolution. You heard that right, and we'll find out what that's all about. Welcome, Michael Cremo, to the program. Great to be with you and all your listeners. It is uh, fantastic to be with you as well. So uh, does it cease to amaze you, uh, the discoveries that are made over time uh, that show man may have existed long, long ago? Well, I I think as far as mainstream archaeology and mainstream science in general are concerned, they're taking what I consider to be baby steps in the right direction. When I was doing the research for my book, Forbidden Archaeology, which was published, first published in 1993, they were saying humans like us have been around uh, for about 100,000 years. And then 10 years later, they were saying maybe 200,000 years. And now today they're saying 300,000 years. So I think they're taking steps in the right direction, but they've got a long way to go to really understand the vast expanse of times that humans have existed on this planet. What is the consensus? Do you think it's around the 300,000-year uh, mark mainstream? That's that's pretty much what the mainstream says, based on some discoveries that were made in uh, Morocco. And, you know, they found some human bones, skulls there that uh, they think are pretty close to anatomically modern human, maybe not exactly down to every fine little point, but they consider it to be Homo sapiens. Uh, But there are other discoveries that scientists 
are making that really show a far longer human presence, but they're interpreted in such a way that they fit the consensus that we've been here a few thousand, few hundred thousand years. So can give you, you an example Yeah, of that. please do. I was going to ask you to point some of those out for us. Well, this is a fairly recent one. This was a discovery that was made three or four years ago at a place called Ulduvai Gorge in uh, the country of Tanzania and East Africa. And the discovery itself was pretty minor. It was a finger bone. It was found in layers of rock about 1,800,000 years old. But they carefully analyzed this finger bone and you know, they made dozens of measurements on it, and then they fed it into a computer, compa- compared it with the measurements of the same finger bone from different species of apes and monkeys, you know, chimpanzees, gorillas, things of that sort. And they also compared it with the measurements of the same bone from different hominid species like Australopithecus, Homo habilis, Homo erectus. And then they also compared it with the same finger bone in modern humans. And they found it fit in the modern human group. In other words, it wasn't like a bone of an ape or a monkey. It wasn't a, a bone of Australopithecus. They said it was human. And shape, and, but they said we can't call it human though, because of the age of the formation it's in, one million eight hundred thousand years old. So this is a, a perfect example of how scientists can be staring right at evidence showing that humans existed over a million years ago, and they just interpret it in such a way that it doesn't shake their current consensus has had the dna well i I think we have to ask you that question when we come back because we won't have enough time to get into it here but i'm wondering if the dna had been altered uh, to a point where it was not recognized as being human What do you think okay, about that? We're come, we're, oh, okay. I thought we were going to come back to that question. Sure. Let's do that, actually, because now we do have to take a break here in just a second. My guest is Michael Cremo. I'm Jeremy Scott. Somewhere between the paranormal and abnormal, we will be right back after this. I'm Jeremy Scott. We're delving into Forbidden Truths tonight. My guest is Michael Cremo on Into the Paranormal. The uh, question I had for him right before the break uh, had to do with uh, the altering uh, of the DNA or maybe the altering of a of a bloodline. And I bring us up maybe off, off course so early in the interview. Uh, but in the case of uh, not being recognized as human... Uh, as we were hearing about in the first segment, I'm I'm wondering if uh, if that comes into play here, Michael. 
in the particular case I was talking about, I, I don't think it does. I don't think it had any recoverable DNA in it. But in general, uh, ancient DNA is becoming a very important factor in archaeological studies. Yeah, there are two different ways that DNA is used in archaeology and anthropology. One is to look at the DNA in living people and try to uh, theorize backwards. In other words, by looking at the variations in the DNA among living populations of people, they can make guesses about where people first originated, what their movements have been, how long they've been around. Depends on a lot of assumptions, but it's still a, a factor. And then there's ancient DNA, recovering DNA from fossil material, not living populations. And that can also tell them something. You know, for example, by these methods, you know, they've determined that we've got a certain percentage of Neanderthal genes in our genome. And there are a couple of other uh, hominins they believe were coexisting with uh, anatomically modern humans and Neanderthals in ancient times, like the Denisovans and Homo floresiensis, sometimes called the Hobbit from Java. So, yeah, that study of the genetics in either living populations or in fossil bones of hominid species is an important factor in archaeology. So, Michael, any idea how many species humans have interbred with over time? Well, you know, a, a lot of my work is inspired by my studies in the Vedic literature of India, including the Puranas, which are the cosmological writings. And they say there are 400,000 human and human-like species scattered throughout the cosmos, which appears to line up with uh, a lot of the testimony that comes in from people who are into extraterrestrials, contactees, abductees. In other words, people have reported contact with extraterrestrial beings or being abducted by them. They tend to report that there's not just one kind of uh, ET or extraterrestrial, you know, the standard gray type with the bulbous head and enormous eyes. That's one type, but there are many other types as well. So there appear to be a lot of human-like species either on this planet or off this planet. Yeah, maybe breeding with each other. I'm Jeremy Scott. Sounds a lot like last night's show. Sometimes they just seem to connect.
I'm Jeremy Scott. Tonight's guest is Michael Cremo, the forbidden archaeologist. More with him coming up into the paranormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. paranormal news what's happened to voyager one instead of the usual binary code the spacecraft is sending back repeating signals of ones and zeros from interstellar space as if it were stuck or hijacked nasa says the flight data system is not communicating properly with the telemetry modulation unit engineers are working on the problem but there's no word how long it could take to fix Voyager 1 launched in 1977 and has traveled further than any human-made object. It is the second longest operating spacecraft in history behind Voyager 2 by only a few weeks. Its mission has helped us learn about the space between the stars outside of our own solar system. George Henry, Paranormal News. Researchers say they've found the skull of what they believe is a new species of human, which could be our closest evolutionary relative. The discovery of 3.3 million year old Stone's tools. Homo erectus, or the upright man, is said to have walked the earth some 700,000 to 1.4 million years ago. It really gives us a new view of human evolution. Legends of people of enormous size are told across a myriad of cultures. The remains of giants have been found all over the U.S. and all over the world. There should be reports of archaeological evidence for humans existing much further back in time than 200,000 years ago, perhaps going back many millions of years. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon... Somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, you're traveling into the paranormal with Jeremy Scott. Where we're going, uh, and perhaps uh, from whence we came tonight as well, Michael Cremo, the forbidden archaeologist, is my guest. Uh, His main website is mcremo.com, author of many books. Human Devolution, Forbidden Archaeology, The Hidden History of the Human Race is the condensed version of that book. And uh, we'll spend some time talking with him about those as well. But uh, you were talking about the variety of species that we've been known to uh, interact with and perhaps may be interbred with. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, when... Forbidden Archaeology was first published in 1993. Most archaeologists and scientists who study human origins believed in a very linear process of human evolution. They believed there was only one hominid existing at one time. In other words, you have uh, Homo habilis, and Homo habilis turns into Homo erectus, then Homo erectus turns into the Neanderthals, and then the Neanderthals turn into us. But now they've come around to the viewpoint that 
uh, we talked about in Forbidden Archaeology, namely there's coexistence of various hominin types, uh, including humans like us. So I think that takes us into a very interesting category of evidence because there is evidence for living ape men. Uh, people call them different names, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti. You know, there are different names and different cultures for these people. So even today, we may be coexisting with different hominin representatives and with apes and monkeys, of course, also. Uh, Michael, uh, so did the world begin with Adam and Eve, or is that a myth? Uh, I think there's a principle there that uh, is worth considering, and that, that is that this universe has a purpose. And I think its purpose is to allow conscious selves who are now in the human vehicle, the human form of life, allow them to come to an understanding of their real nature as beings of pure consciousness, that we're not just machines made of molecules in competition with each other for survival. So if that is true, if that's the purpose of human life, and that purpose is achieved in the human bodily vehicle, I would think the human bodily vehicle should have been available from the very beginning of the history of life on Earth. Now you can call it Adam and Eve, or you can call it by other names, but the principle is the human vehicle the human bodily vehicle has always been available for conscious selves. Interesting. Uh, and so where did the race uh, originate? Was it in Africa? Uh, there are different ideas about that, but I would say the... The main thing is that human beings have been around since the very beginning of the history of life on Earth. To me, that's the most important thing. Okay, and so that would uh, put it uh, how how old? Well, you know, this is a very, very interesting question. And my ideas are influenced by the Vedic cosmology of ancient India, which proposes that there are millions of universes, not just one. Sometimes some modern scientists, they propose something like that. They call it multiverse. But there have been millions and millions of universes constantly going through cycles of manifestation and non-manifestation. And in each of the manifestations in each of these universes and the planets within them, the human form of life has been available. So in one sense, you could say it's eternal in the sense that it's always been there in the mind of God. So 
in that sense, since th that is actually my view as well, I'm not a creationist. I'm not an evolutionist. You could say I'm an eternalist. In other words, the human form of life has always been available for conscious selves to come to understand that this material world is not our home. We belong on another level of reality where consciousness can fully express its eternality, its wisdom, and its joy. And perhaps uh, existing in different forms uh, in each of these universes. Uh, yes, but the real place of its existence is beyond the universes where they have to come in contact with matter and have bodily vehicles made of material elements that are temporary. You know, the physical body comes into existence at a certain point in time. And then at another point in time, not very far away, it's gone out of existence. Yeah, there's the cycle of birth and death, in other words. So that happens in all the material universes. But there is a level of reality that I call the level of pure consciousness, where consciousness can just exist without having to go through that cycle of birth, death, old age, disease, again and again and again. I understand that uh, you have uh, come to some con controversial uh, uh, findings through your work uh, that you have published, and uh, I'd like to go through some of those, and then I'd like to ask you sure. how some of those have been viewed by the scientific community. Uh, first and foremost is that uh, humans did not evolve from apes. Yeah, if you look at the totality of evidence, not just what you see in today's textbooks, the pattern that emerges is one of coexistence rather than evolution uh, of uh, humans like us from more primitive ape-like creatures. There are apes and monkeys. There always have been. There are and always have been creatures intermediate between apes and monkeys and anatomically modern humans. And we're coexisting with them today. We coexisted with them in the past, and we'll continue to coexist with them in the future. Uh, another part of this is that uh, abundant evidence against human evolution has been ignored. What, by mainstream science? Yes, there's a process of knowledge filtration that operates in the world of science. If uh, evidence conforms to the dominant theory or paradigm, it's sometimes called, then it passes through this knowledge filter very easily, which means we'll read about it in textbooks, we'll 
hear scientists talking about it. But if there's evidence that radically contradicts a dominant theory or paradigm, it tends to get filtered out. It gets set aside, forgotten, sometimes actively suppressed. And this happens in many fields of science, not just archaeology. I was kind of surprised when my book, Forbidden Archaeology, was first published. I started getting invitations to speak at UFO conferences. And I had to wonder, <clears throat> like, what, what's going on? What's the connection between archaeology and UFOs? And the connection is this knowledge filtration process. Because you have a lot of good evidence coming from military pilots confirmed by ra radar uh, tests so, and things of that sort. Both, uh, all of this is being suppressed. Yeah, it, it may be actively or passively suppressed. In other words, some scientists, they just think, I'm not suppressing any true evidence, which if people knew about would cause them to disbelieve in my theories, therefore I don't want them to know about it. They're not thinking like that. They're thinking, something's got to be wrong with this. I don't know exactly what, but it really doesn't fit. And I'm sure if I asked my colleague down the hall, he'd be able to tell me exactly what's wrong with this evidence. But uh, for now, I'm just going to set it aside. And, yeah, but the effect is the same as if it were a deliberate conspiracy to suppress truth. Because the result is the same. We don't get all of the facts we need to decide these important questions about our identity as members of the human species and what our position is. Uh, hence the name uh, Forbidden, and, and that's uh, exactly what you're alluding to in the Forbidden Archaeology. Yeah, although we did say in the the uh, in the book that we're talking about something that historians of science and philosophers of science have understood for a long time, namely that theoretical preconceptions can influence how scientists will treat various categories of evidence that come to their attention. And it basically is this knowledge filtering process. If something supports the dominant theory, let it pass. If something causes big doubts about the dominant theory, well, forget about it. Michael, do you think that then that's dominant within the science uh, field that uh, exactly what you just spoke about? Well... I think it is dominant in a couple of areas. The whole modern scientific world and its theories and its technological prowess are based on 
a couple of very simple principles. All right, tell us uh, that when we come back. We've got to take just a uh, short break of a few minutes, and we'll be back to continue our conversation with Michael Cremo. I'm Jeremy Scott. Into the paranormal. Tonight's guest on Into the Paranormal, Michael Cremo, pointing out uh, before the break how mainstream science is uh, helping to keep some of these truths forbidden. We continue our conversation with him. Michael, please continue your point that you were making. Yeah, I was pointing out that there are a couple of major things that modern science excludes from its methodology and that is it does not allow one to introduce any non-material substance in other words if you talk about consciousness as something apart from matter that has its own independent existence you will get hardly a hearing in the world of science today some of them are coming around to maybe matter can produce consciousness or something like that. But I, I don't think anybody's ever demonstrated matter producing consciousness. So that's one thing that they absolutely will not consider. And the other is you can't bring in the idea of any kind of higher intelligence having something to do with the order and complexity that we observe around us or the fact that this universe that we exist in appears to be finely tuned for the existence of life you know there are certain ratios of natural forces that are set to very precise values and if these values were even slightly different we wouldn't have stable atoms, stars, molecules, none of that. So, uh, you know, but, they, but that is kind of a forbidden idea. So these two ideas that they exclude are no non-material substance and no higher intelligence involved. Now, if you're going to play the game of science according to those rules, well, that's fine, but then you have to admit that you're not dealing with everything that's really possible in in this world that we live in, because it is possible that there are non-material substances, and it is possible that there is some higher intelligence involved and the origin of all the complexity and order that we see around us. So uh, those are the two things that they exclude. Now, by doing that, they've managed to become very expert at manipulating matter, but because they're ignoring consciousness as, as an element that has to be considered 
They are destroying our planet. There is violence on every level of human society. And uh, they aren't able to answer many important questions like, what is the actual origin of the universe? What is the origin of life? You know, you, you can't answer those questions without taking into account non-material substances, that there's more to a, a living thing than chemicals, and that, I mean, they, they have things like, you know, they can't account for how life came from chemicals. But if we understand there's, we're existing in a consciousness-based universe, not a matter-based universe, it's not that consciousness has come from matter, rather it's the other way around. Matter has come from consciousness. If we understood that, we would have a better science, a better society, and a better understanding of what our real, real position is. Uh, getting a better understanding with our guest, Michael Cremo, the forbidden archaeologist, uh, on the program tonight. And we'll have more with him a full hour ahead, somewhere between the paranormal and abnormal. I'm Jeremy Scott. Miss a show? Into the Paranormal is free on all the top podcast apps. the box into the paranormal you definitely have to think outside the box let those truths be known as johnny cobb sings there part of our into the paranormal theme songs uh, that are available at paranormalradio.com in the shop where everything is on sale till the end of the year Michael Cremo, my guest tonight, we've been talking about everything that's, uh, well, unconventional, because uh, that's just how we do it. Uh, we talked about uh, a few of the controversial findings that he's found in his research of what's known as forbidden archaeology. Uh, and Michael, some of this obviously then is handed down uh, to the museums, and so people see certain things on display uh, that are not uh, necessarily accurate. Well, yes, and yeah, there's some logic behind that because museums 
can't really display all at one time everything that they have in their collections. So they are selective. But uh, it just so happens that they tend to select to not show the things that contradict the dominant theories today. I mean, I've done a lot of my research in museums. Yeah, well, actually, I started looking at the history of archaeology because I thought if I looked at the original scientific papers, not just what's in the textbooks, I might find discoveries that make a lot of sense but just aren't part of what you see in the textbooks. So when I started doing that, for example, I learned about uh, the discoveries of Carlos Ribeiro in Portugal. In the 19th century, he was the chief government geologist of Portugal, and he found in his country uh, hundreds of stone tools and weapons that go back 20 million years. I mean, I was just hearing today, maybe it was even you that said it, that you know, they claimed to have discovered in Africa somewhere what they consider to be the oldest stone tools right. at yeah, 2.9 2. 9 million yep. or 2.9 million years. Mm-hmm. Well, there have been scientists who have reported finding stone tools like that that go back 20 million years. Carlos Ribeiro was one of them. And he displayed these artifacts with labels indicating their age in the Museum of Geology in Lisbon. But if you go to that museum today, you won't see them on display anymore. They're kept in storage cabinets. And you wouldn't even know they were there unless you're somebody like me who's kind of dug into this. But I did get permission from the directors of the museum to study and photograph those objects. And I presented, I gave a lecture about them at a meeting of the European Association of Archaeologists. And that paper that I presented at that conference was later published in a peer-reviewed scientific journal dealing with the archaeology of the Iberian Peninsula. So, yeah, I think you're right. You know, museums, they do have some stuff in them that the average person will not see and will not hear about. Uh, one of the things that I also talked about earlier, which I believe you've uh, had some uh, research uh, dealing with this, is uh, did humans exist with the dinosaurs? Uh, were they alive uh, with the dinosaurs at the time of the extinction event? Well, if you look at the evidence that is documented in Forbidden Archaeology, which is a 900-page book, it's just they're not just a few of these cases, there are many of them. But uh, they show that humans existed before the time of the dinosaurs, during the time of the dinosaurs, and of course, after the time of the dinosaurs. Now, there are some particular discoveries that are 
you know, controversial even among the controversial discoveries. There is a place at, called Paluxy in Texas, and at this Paluxy River site, researchers have uncovered human footprints next to dinosaur footprints. Of course, now some people are going to say, well, they're not human footprints. They're just dinosaur footprints that have been eroded, you know, by different, you know, by water or wind or something. And they just look like human footprints. So uh, for that reason, I didn't put that particular case in forbidden archaeology. But, you know, students of archaeology write letters to me. And I got a letter from an archaeology student at a university in Texas asking if she could do anything to assist me in my research. I said, well, why don't you go to that Paluxy River site and have a look at those footprints and tell me what you think think about them, you know, the human footprints next to dinosaur footprints. And she happened to arrive there at a time when the researchers who were working at this place were excavating a new layer of rock. And she took part in those excavations and saw human footprints next to dinosaur footprints. And in uh, those newly exposed layers of rock. So on that basis, you know, in some future edition, I'm willing to put that case in along with the rest of them that I consider to be very good evidence for extreme human antiquity. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the textbooks earlier, and, and so you find that uh, some of those, uh, whether at the uh, the high school or the uh, the collegiate level, uh, maybe even in younger than that, uh, sometimes have inaccuracies dealing with the subjects. Uh, well, I'll just say they're not giving a complete picture of what's going on in the world of science, because. Even in the world of mainstream scientists, there are there's a minority. They're a minority group. You could say they're not the the dominant group, but there is a group of scientists who are exploring alternatives to the Darwinian theory of evolution, and uh, that's just a fact. Yeah, you know, everyone has to admit it. So. I think the the proper thing for them to do with the textbooks is say, okay, the supporters of the Darwinian theory of evolution, they're in the majority today. Let's put a percentage number on, I don't know, you'd have to do a survey, but let's say 90 or 95% of them accept this theory and give them 90% 90% of the textbook pages in classroom time to present <coughs> to present their ideas and but what should also be done it should be stated in the textbooks 
that although this is the majority view, there is there are scientists who are proposing different alternatives, and here are their reasons. And then just let the students make up their minds. I think if if that were actually done, we'd see a gradual shift in the percentages, but uh, they don't want to do that. You know, they don't want to let in any alternative ideas, which is fine if you've got a, a country based on a kind of a dictatorship or something. But usually in a free country, we like to have the full range of, of views represented. In, in other words, like, if we're having a, a history textbook made, we wouldn't really tolerate it if it, they taught American history, leaving out the contributions that were made by any other religious groups besides uh, Protestant Christian groups. You know, if they leave out the Roman Catholics, they leave out the Hindus, they leave out the Islamic people, they, you know, we wouldn't say that. Say this is a free country, everybody's got freedom of choice. And the actual history is, well, yes, these other groups, they've made their contribution to American American life. So. I don't think it's right to get, even if a group is in the majority, to give them an absolute monopoly in the public tax-supported education system. When I'm speaking about these things, I'm talking about the public tax-supported uh, system of education that everyone has to pay for not talking about private schools done with private money. They can teach what they like. But in the public tax-supported schools, I think diversity should be the principle. And so uh, what has the response been uh, to some of the, the claims that you've made within the scientific community, Michael? Well, there have been basically three kinds of reactions because science is not a monolithic organization. There's one influential and numerous group that I call the fundamentalist materialist. They don't want to hear what I have to say. They don't want anyone else to hear it. Uh, sometimes they try to cancel lectures that I've had scheduled at universities. Uh, so that, that group is there. But there's another group, equally numerous, in the world of archaeology especially, who are willing to listen to, to a presentation of an alternative to the current theories. And I think that's, I mean, they may not agree with me, but at least they're willing to listen. And I think that's an important first step. 
because if people are going to change their ideas, the first thing is they have to be willing to listen. Right, and we that's what we say when you listen to this show as well. We'll have more with Michael Cremo. Into the paranormal. Imagine not all the information is getting through the pipeline. It's as if the information is uh, too much for one to handle. Maybe doesn't fit in with their ideology. Uh, it be, it it's it's suppressed. It's uh, shut down. We've heard uh, about that tonight with my guest Michael Cremo, the forbidden archaeologist. The stuff he talks about is sometimes subject to this stuff. He was describing the uh, resistance to much of this information. The The crowd that shuts you down uh, doesn't want to hear anything you have to say. The crowd uh, who's going to listen, at least, and, and entertain what you what you have to say, Michael, and you were going to tell us about them, and, and, and the third kind of uh, uh, crowd you deal with uh, when you try to get this information out. Yeah. Yeah, so there is this group that may not agree with me, but are willing to listen. You know, they don't try to cancel lectures. They actually are happy to invite me to make presentations at uh, their scientific gatherings and, and their uh, educational institutions. So that's a, a positive sign. <clears throat> now, among those who hear me, there's some who actually agree with me, either publicly or privately, as the case may be. Uh, and that's a, a small group, but that's, I think, to be expected in the kind of situation we're in now. You know, it would be nice to live in a time when one's personal convictions about these things were shared by all the different elites in the society and <clears throat> which one lives, but sometimes it doesn't happen that way. You know, sometimes you have to go against the the flow of things. Uh, as far as reactions from those who are critical of my work, one thing I found is that their usual response is to give a list of different possibilities, how a discovery that I've cited and documented could be wrong. <clears throat> they, they say things like, well, but the object or bone could have slipped down from some higher level. Or they say there could have been some earth movement here. Or there could have been a hoax. <clears throat> And I don't think that's a very scientific way in which to proceed. If you're going to make a claim like that, then you should be able to demonstrate, yes, in this place, there actually was an earth movement, and there actually were artifacts or bones at some higher level that could have slipped down into an older, deeper level. You know, you know uh, just... I was at lecturing at a university in Europe, and an archaeologist made that kind of objection. 
simply giving a list of possibilities. Yes, it's possible that uh, there was a hoax. I said, well, it's possible you're a holographic projection from Mars, too. That's possible. You know, so I, I don't think that's an adequate response to these cases, simply to raise baseless possibilities, how they could be wrong, without actually demonstrating that that's the case. Michael Cremo, my guest tonight. I'm Jeremy Scott, somewhere between the paranormal and abnormal. George Henry has paranormal news, and then our conversation will continue into the paranormal. This is Paranormal News. A monster solar flare that erupted from the sun last week is one of the largest ever recorded, according to the Space Weather Prediction Center. The X-Class flare, which is the strongest of classifications, may have also been accompanied by a plasma eruption that was directed at Earth. It knocked out radio frequencies across the country and interfered with flight communications. The flare is the biggest since 2017 and the most intense of the current solar cycle 25, which is ahead of schedule and could reach solar maximum as soon as next month. Just days before, the results of a study by Lancaster University were released that warns flares can cause glitches on railways by fouling up electrical circuits that control the signals, which could result in a malfunction and potentially a crash. George Henry, Paranormal News. Pair of normal. It's part paranormal and part abnormal. There's nothing ordinary about what's on your speakers. Into the pair of normal with Jeremy Scott. Just some uh, forbidden truths tonight. Our final live show of the year. It has been a wonderful time to be with you. All of these uh, hundred or more episodes that we've uh, spent together throughout this year. Uh, talking with Michael Cremo tonight, his website is mcremo.com. Uh, that is his main website. Uh, any other place folks should go, Michael, to follow you? Um, on Facebook, I have Michael Cremo, it's really me, but the website mcremo.com is a good place to start. Uh, they People would be able to find out about upcoming podcasts and, and interviews. They'd be able to find out upcoming speaking events. Uh, 
Also, there are, my books are available on the website. We have some special offers for people if they go and get the books from my website. For example, if uh, anyone purchases a copy of my latest book, My Science, My Religion, from the website, they will also have the opportunity to get, if they wish to receive it, a free copy of Bhagavad Gita, which is one of the texts from ancient India that have greatly inspired my work. All right, fantastic. Links up at paranormalradio.com as well. Go to podcasts, you'll get the link there uh, in case you uh, can't write it down right now. Michael, one of your books, Human Devolution, D-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N, uh, a play on evolution. Uh, what do you mean by devolution? Well, I mean a couple of things. One, one is something I was talking about during the earlier part of the show, is that we should, before we even ask the question, where did human beings come from? How long have they been around? We should understand what a human being is. Many scientists today will say we're machines made of molecules in competition with each other for survival. And that's all there is to it. But I think there is more to a human being than that. I think there's a subtle mental body that has some very unusual powers. Some would call them paranormal powers, like remote viewing and things of that sort. So, uh, so I think there's this mental body that we have to consider which may be responsible for things like psychokinesis, uh, out-of-body experiences, reincarnation memories, and things of that sort. And then beyond that, there's a conscious self that's beyond the mind, beyond matter, has its own independent existence prior to mind and matter. So... As beings of pure consciousness, I don't think we evolve up from matter, as modern science says. They say if matter organizes itself in a sufficiently complex way in the brain, it develops consciousness. But uh, I, I don't accept that. I think originally we exist as beings of pure consciousness. We can become covered by mind and matter, but we're not produced by mind and matter. So that's what I mean by devolution. We don't evolve up from matter. We devolve or come down from pure consciousness or spirit. I can also use it in the sense that as the cycles of time go on, things tend to become more disordered uh, so there's a kind of devolution that goes on as you go from age to age and vast cycles of time. But it's just like the yearly cycle. There's spring, summer, fall, winter. Then there's another spring, another summer, another fall, another winter. So uh, we're in a down part of the cycle now, so you could say we're devolving, but eventually there'll be another more positive age. 
So, and then I can also use devolution and, and the, in a way that has something to do with reincarnation. Generally, uh, a conscious self makes progress lifetime after lifetime, going from lower species to higher species, ultimately the human species. But you can also reverse the direction in the cycle of reincarnation. In other words, like, if you use the human bodily vehicle for purposes that it's not intended to be used, you could, so to speak, lose your license for the human bodily vehicle and go down in the cycle of reincarnation back to uh, species that are more appropriate for your actual intentions and desires that are encoded in your subtle mental body. So, but the main sense I use devolution is as beings of pure consciousness, we haven't evolved up from matter. We've devolved or come down from a higher level, the level of pure consciousness or spirit. And the purpose of human life is to re-evolve. So there's got to be not evolution, but revolution. Revolution, right. Um, Michael, you've uh, obviously traveled the world. I mentioned that you've gone to some famous archaeological sites and some sacred places around the world. Uh, Tell us about your travels, please. Well... I've always been traveling. You know, I was born in a military family. You know, my father was an Air Force intelligence officer. So that meant as a as a kid growing up, I was always moving around. And after that, I was in the military for some time myself. I was in the Navy. I was stationed in Iceland. And, you know, and then since then, uh, when I got involved in writing these books, you know, they get published in different countries, and I'd get invitations to go there and do uh, lectures and interviews on radio and television. So I got invitations to visit countries like Russia and Japan and Brazil and all over the world, actually. So I've always been traveling. It's something I'm very much accustomed to. And I just find it interesting to travel to different places, get exposed to different ideas and cultures. Of course, there's some places that are very difficult to visit these days. Oh, I I live one of those places. Uh, I know exactly uh, what it is uh, you're talking about. Uh, so have there been artifacts that have been found throughout history that give us an indication about how old man uh, 
may be. I know we talked about some of those uh, tools that were found, but there have to have been other discoveries that have made, and perhaps you've made some of those discoveries through the years. Yeah, well, one thing to keep in mind is that the further you go back in the record of the rocks, let's put it, the more sparse the evidence becomes. And that's to be expected because not only are layers of rock being deposited that contain fossils and artifacts, those layers of rock are also being destroyed by subduction and plate tectonics and natural forces of erosion. So as you go further and further back in time, the archaeological evidence, although it's there, becomes very sparse. But a few of those discoveries point to vast ages for uh, a human presence. For example, there was a case reported in Scientific American in the year 1852 of a beautiful metallic vase that came from uh, a formation called the Roxbury Conglomerate, which modern geologists consider to be about 600 million years old. And yeah, so you have accounts like that or accounts of like a human skeleton being found 90 feet below the surface of the ground in Macoupin County in the state of Illinois, southern Illinois, down near St. Louis, Missouri, that area of the country. So the layers of rock in which the skeleton were found is is about uh, 300 million years old. So you do get these reports of indicating a very, very ancient human presence on Earth. And even some modern scientists are speculating about such things. You know, there's a couple of astrophysicists who are interested in climate change and the effects of you know, greenhouse gases having on our planet. And they were wondering, well, what if there existed on this planet, say, 450 million years ago in the Silurian period? Uh, what would we be able to detect from such a, a civilization? And you know, they kind of concluded it may not be the type of evidence that archaeologists are normally looking for. In other words, recognizable artifacts and recognizable human bones, but it might be something like more subtle, like the existence of mineral compounds that don't occur naturally in the environment that require some kind of advanced technology to make these uh, compounds or alloys And they said you might also detect signs of radiation from a past nuclear war or atomic reactor accident. So 
uh, yeah, there. I, I just find it interesting that even as a thought experiment, some modern scientists are thinking, starting to think about the possibility there may have been advanced technological civilizations on this planet far earlier than our own. In other words, we're not the first to have done this. Yeah, who's to say we're not the aliens in the whole ancient aliens theory? <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm personally of the opinion that we're all extraterrestrials because as beings of pure consciousness, none of us are from the world of matter. We're from some higher dimension of reality that we're meant to exist in. And as long as we're not making the right decisions, well, we won't be there, but we should be. Gotcha. And we'll continue our conversation. Our final segment with Michael Cremo is coming up next. I'm Jeremy Scott. Somewhere between the paranormal and the abnormal. We'll be right back. Into the paranormal. Unlocking forbidden truths tonight with Michael Cremo, a first-time guest on the program. Uh, second time that I've talked to Michael, but the first on Into the Paranormal, and it is uh, awesome to have him here. Author of Forbidden Archaeology, and then the uh, shortened version of that, The Hidden History of the Human Race, along with Human Devolution. Those are uh, some of his books that you'll find. His website is mcremo, M-C-R-E-M-O dot com. And, uh, Michael, as we uh, spend the uh, final moments with you here, uh, I'm wondering if in any of the artifacts there is a indication that giants of some sort roamed the Earth at one point or another. Well, I do accept the existence of giants in the history of the earth. And yeah, that's part of even ordinary science. Even according to ordinary paleontology, before five or 10,000 years ago, most plants and animals were bigger than they are today. You know, the elephants were bigger, the lions were bigger, the trees were bigger in California. We have the California redwood trees. They're thousands of years old, some of them, and they're actually, I think, the biggest living things on Earth. They're huge. So I think they're a holdover from that previous age where things were bigger, including human beings. I don't see why not. But the, the difficulty is finding actual physical evidence for that. You know, it's, uh, I mean, there are lots of reports, you know, in newspapers and other publications about scientists finding these things. And there are accounts of them having been in museums, but they're nowhere to be found now. I would like to be able to 
come up with at least one good example that can be seen today of a large size human bone. And by large size, I mean that belong to a human eight feet or more tall. Because there are a lot of people seven foot tall. Many of them play on basketball teams. But uh, but there's no one nine feet tall, 10 feet tall. But yeah, the best report that I've encountered was a discovery that was made at a place called Castlenau in southern France in the early 20th century. There was a French anthropologist, uh, Professor Lapouge, I think his name was, and he found that this place, not complete human skeletons, but human femurs, femur means the thigh bone, and the humerus is the upper arm bone between the elbow and the shoulders. So if if an anthropologist has a femur, say a thigh bone, and they can measure the size of it, they could tell you how tall the person would have been who had a femur or thigh bone of that size. And they calculated that uh, the person with a femur the size of the one that was found and measured at this place in France would have been 11 feet tall or more. And I would consider that to be a giant. Michael, fascinating conversation. Again, your website and where folks can uh, find more information about you. Can you give us that information once again? mcremo.com. There people will find the schedule of my upcoming interviews, talks. They'll find information about my books and how to get them, along with some special offers. So mcremo.com, M-C-R-E-M-O.com. Michael, appreciate you coming on the program. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you for the opportunity. Merry Christmas to you. And to uh, all of you out there in Radio Land, it has been my pleasure being with you all this year and welcoming uh, more of you each and every night, seemingly, across the airwaves, across the USA. I'm Jeremy Scott. Uh, Although this is our last live program of the year, we'll have a special one we'll roll out next week as we look back some of the finer moments of the year. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, good night and God bless.